If you and I belong to Jesus Christ, our identity is shaped and is defined in the most profound sense by the action of God in Jesus Christ, the redeeming work of God in our Savior, and the great plans and purposes of God for his redeemed people. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller, glad you've joined us today as we're beginning a new series called Faith Under Fire. And Jonathan, I love the fact that we are beginning by taking a look at identity. How important do you think it is for believers to understand their identity in Christ? Well, it's so profoundly important, isn't it? And the question of identity, who am I? This is perhaps the question of our age, isn't it? And it's a question that the Bible tackles head on, and especially in this letter that we're beginning to study today, First Peter. Peter's writing to believers who are facing pressure and a sense of isolation, even alienation in their culture and their society. And as they face pressure and as they feel like outsiders, Peter wants to remind them of who they are in Christ, who God has made them to be and who God has redeemed them to be. And the need to understand that for us today is no less acute than it was for those believers in that era. Well, let's go ahead and begin to take a look at that. As you heard, we're in the book of First Peter. We're in chapter 1, going to be looking at the first five verses today. So grab a Bible and join us there as we begin our message called A God-Given Identity. Here is Jonathan. Well, who are we? Who are you? And who am I? The question of identity is a foundational question, a fundamental question. In many ways, it is the question and the preoccupation of our present age. So many around us, so many of us here, are grappling with the question of personal identity in some fairly profound ways. And it's certainly true that our our culture at this cultural moment is encouraging us very much to do so. Now, if our culture would encourage us to pursue questions of personal identity with a focus on the inward glance, a look within my own mind and my own heart, to drill down deeply into my own psychological self to find the answer, the Bible tackles the question too. But it points us not to look primarily within, but rather to look to the Lord, to to the pages of his word, to his work in Christ, and to his great and precious promises. If you and I belong to Jesus Christ, our identity is shaped and is defined in the most profound sense by the action of God in Jesus Christ, the redeeming work of God in our Savior, and the great plans and purposes of God for his redeemed people. First Peter is written to a group of people who are scattered throughout regions of ancient Asia Minor, overlapping with much of modern Turkey, believers living very much amongst the people of this world in a culture not friendly to the gospel, believers experiencing the realities of pressure and of opposition for the faith. Now, as we study this letter together over the coming months, we are going to sense the pressure and see something of the suffering that these believers are facing for their faith indications and evidences of this pressure are found from start to finish 
I just note chapter 4 and verse 12 where Peter says this. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You see, these believers, they are living in the real world. They're navigating culture and skepticism and opposition and even persecution. They're on the front lines and the pressure is on. It's tough and it's uncomfortable. And you know, for us readers here in the 21st century, it's immediately familiar, is it not? And it's highly relevant. How do we live in this world today? Often so dark, in a culture often so antagonistic. Some among us are on the front lines, aren't we, in in the workplace or in the classroom or in a particular community context. The pressure is on, you feel it, the opposition is real. And And it is beginning to cost you in some very tangible ways to follow Jesus Christ. How do we manage all this as believers when it sometimes feels as though the world is against us? Now, this is the reality into which Peter speaks. And to help believers navigate the choppy waters of a hostile culture, Peter begins by reminding them of who they are. And it's so right, isn't it? That's the right place to begin. It's so wise, so helpful. You and I know what it is to inhabit a culture and a society that is increasingly at odds with the faith. I don't need to set out the issues for you. You know them. The biblical worldview is no longer tolerated in our world. It is despised. The Scriptures written off as hate literature in some quarters. Believers seen by many as ignorant and tolerant and worse. And, and even in the West, real persecution of Christians seems nearer now than ever before. And to keep us steady, to equip us to live faithfully and joyfully and boldly as Christian people today, our great need actually is simply to remember who we are. And and so God's word for us in these opening verses of 1 Peter, it's timely manna from heaven. It is food for the soul. Peter, he wants us to see that as Christian people, Our identity is defined by what God has made us to be, and it is defined by what God has in store for us. First then, our identity is defined by what God has made us to be. Peter writes, verse 1, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, which means he brings the authoritative word of Jesus Christ, a reliable message from the Lord, a word from heaven itself. In times of trial, he has not left us without his word. God has not left us without his messenger. That fact alone is comfort to the weary and beleaguered disciples under pressure. Here is Jesus' message to us. And the message, it comes to a people whose identity is defined by the work of God, what he has made us to be, verse 2, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, those are very weighty words, each one of those words. Those who belong to Jesus Christ, says Peter, are his elect. That means simply his his chosen ones. If you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, the Word of God says that you are chosen by God. Now, on the human side, I I say and I feel, you know, I, I chose him. 
I, I put my trust in him, my faith in him, and that's true, isn't it? That's true on one level. Of course you did. Of course I, I did. But at the same time, in a way that we can hardly fathom and wrap our minds around, the Bible says he first chose me. Now, you and I, we could probe that idea for a long time. We could get very lost in it. It's no easy concept. But Peter has a reason for saying this here, and we need to keep sight of his pastoral reason. This is not abstract theology. He's not wanting to spark a good old theological debate. This is about practicality. This is about comfort. If you are his, if you belong to Jesus Christ today, here's what you need to know. You need to know that he chose you. You need to know that he loves you. You need to know that he has a purpose for you. You see, you may feel lost in this world, rejected by society, hated by the community, thoroughly unchosen by everyone else. That's possible. But know this, believe this, trust this. The God of heaven set his love upon you in eternity past, before even the foundation of the world. He chose you. And if that is not a comfort to you, I don't know what else can be. This is, of course, the way in which the Old Testament spoke about the people of Israel, God's chosen people. And Peter here, he's saying that the Christian believer is special to God, set apart as Israel of old. And the idea, it continues in the next word, we are elect exiles, says Peter. Israel of old, they knew what it was to live far away from home as exiles from the promised land. You remember how in the days of Daniel, the people of Judah were carried off into exile by the Babylonians. The city of Jerusalem was sacked. The temple was destroyed. The people were taken into a foreign land. And Daniel and his contemporaries, they had to learn under pressure what it meant to be faithful to the Lord while living in an unfamiliar place among an unsympathetic people away from home. And, and part of the great value and treasure you'll know of the book of Daniel is to learn from him what faithfulness looks like in a foreign land. And for you and me, if we belong to Jesus Christ, our homeland is heaven above. We are citizens of a heavenly city and we long to be home. But right now, here's our reality. We are exiles. We're living in a place that is at once familiar and unfamiliar. You may live in the house in which you grew up, I don't know. You may have been born not many miles from this very place, but if you are a citizen of heaven, this is not your homeland. You're living in exile. You are, to use Peter's phrase, an exile of the dispersion. Now, Israelites who lived outside the Promised Land were part of the dispersion, the diaspora. And in this period of time, when Peter was writing, th there were many Jews who lived outside the bounds of Israel. And, and you and I living on this earth, following Jesus Christ, not yet promoted to heaven, we are exiles of the dispersion of the heavenly city. We're scattered all around the globe waiting to be taken home. I don't know if you've ever been traveling in another land and, and you've bumped into someone from home, it's interesting the feelings that that evokes. I wonder if you can remember an occasion like that. I remember when I was a young person, I was, I was in Edinburgh in Scotland with, with my father and I, I think we were probably walking down the Royal Mile as I remember it and suddenly we bumped into a childhood friend of mine from home in Toronto. Neither knew the other was overseas, but there we suddenly both were out of context friends from home in a foreign land, and you know, it's, it's a sort of special thing, somewhat displacing and arresting. 
but special nonetheless. When I went over uh, age 19 to the UK to study for my university years, my, my old high school used to hold a little reunion in London each year for students who were now in the UK. And I, I remember going to those a couple of times, and there were old friends from home from high school days, now in another land, and we'd catch up and we'd reminisce, and there was, there was a bond, there was a kinship, and also a, a sense of displacement, a sense of being out of context, sort of a fish out of water. I actually remember the first of those I went to, one of the guys uh, showed up with, it, with his arm in a cast. He'd, it turned out, he was a bit sheepish about this, but he'd wandered out into the road looking the wrong way, and it didn't end particularly well for him. The traffic wasn't moving in the direction he'd expected. He did recover. Peter reminds us, and his words ring true, that we are exiles of the dispersion, scattered from our homeland all around the globe. We have a common bond as fish out of water, as a people living away from home. And it's lovely, isn't it, when we, when we travel to, to other places and we see believers, we drop into another church and suddenly, suddenly we're in a different place, we're in another culture, but we're, we're among our own people. We're among family. I remember feeling that some months ago when we were on vacation as a family and dropped into a, a local church thousands of miles from here on a Sunday morning, and immediately, I, I can only describe it, we sensed we were at home. Wonderful thing. We were among our own people. We'd never met them before, but they were family. We, we may be from different cultures and different ethnicities and backgrounds and experiences, but we are brothers and sisters together in the Lord, and there's immediately a bond We've never met one another before, but we belong together. We share a homeland, a savior, an identity, a hope. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called A God-Given Identity. It's part of our series, Faith Under Fire, where we're taking a look at the book of 1 Peter. And we're going to pause right here. But we'll get back to this message in just a moment. By the way, if you ever miss a broadcast here on Encounter the Truth, you can come and listen online. Our website is EncounterTheTruth.org, and you can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. But whether you listen online, through our app, or on the radio, your giving is what makes this program possible. So thank you for supporting this ministry. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you, as a thank you, a book from Lee Strobel that Jonathan has picked out. It is called The Case for Christ. And this is a great book, taking a look at Lee Strobel's journey from atheism to faith in Jesus. We'd love to send you a copy again as our way of saying thank you for your financial support this month. You can find out more or give online when you come to EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 1-833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884. Or again, our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. Let's get back to the message. Again, here is Jonathan. Now, for us to be such a people, to be elect exiles of the dispersion, all of these realities rest upon the action of God. And Peter wants us to see in particular that it, it rests upon the action of, of our triune God. Notice this. We are elect exiles of the dispersion, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, this triune God has worked and acted to make us what we are. God the Father, He's foreknown us. Now, 
again, it's a similar concept we just encountered. We might take a minimal reading of that and say, you know, God knows the future, so he saw into the future, and to his very happy surprise, he saw that we might choose to believe him. But, you know, Peter, he's just called us elect exiles. He's spoken of us as the elect of God. And so when he says that God the Father foreknew us, it wasn't just prophetic insight into the future that he had. That wouldn't mean a whole lot. Of course, God knows the future. But more than that, he directs the future. This is a divine knowing, a choosing to know, a choosing to set his love upon us. God the Father knew you, and he knew me from eternity past. He set his love upon us. The Father foreknew, the Spirit sanctifies. The Spirit works in the heart of the people of God, applying the gospel, applying the work of Christ, making us clean, making us new. And He does this, we are told, for the sake of our obedience to Jesus Christ. That obedience, it begins with what Paul calls elsewhere the obedience of faith, responding to the call to repent and believe the gospel, turning from sin and self to Jesus It leads to a life of increasing obedience as the Spirit makes us new in Christ. But as we come to Jesus in faith, as the Spirit draws us to Him, we experience the sprinkling of His blood, the cleansing of our conscience, the cleansing of our record of sin, the wiping of our guilt before God. Now, that is what God has done in the life of every believer. That is the saving, Trinitarian work of God. It is, we see here, the complete package of salvation. And we need to stand back from all this, this this rather overwhelming presentation of the work of the triune God in saving us, and we need to stand back and just humbly recognize that the triune God achieves our salvation entirely in His own strength and His own power. He does it. He gives it. He bestows it. He achieves it. And Peter is telling us this. He is showing us this, I think, for the sake of our comfort and our encouragement. Remember, he's writing to this people under pressure, a people in some degree of distress because of the opposition of the world, and he wants them to see how secure they are in the saving work of the triune God. And, And he wants you to see that. He wants me to see it as well. You see, the waves of opposition and the currents of culture, they swirl around us, and we wonder some days, don't we, will we just drown in this vortex? Some among us are facing acute and aggressive pressure, opposition, difficulty, living as a child of God in a godless age. And you wonder, can I keep my hold upon Him? You wonder, can I I keep my head above water? Here's the beautiful reassurance for you that Peter gives us. The triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit has acted in Trinitarian divine action to save you, to make you His very own. You are secure in the foreknowledge of God, in the sanctifying work of the Spirit, in the cleansing work of Jesus Christ, and nothing, nothing can unsettle you. Nothing can take away your identity as an elect exile in Christ. Now, friends, you and I, we need to learn and learn again to ground ourselves here and here alone. Identity is the great buzzword of our age and all around us. People are hard at work, obsessively at work, I think, seeking to form and forge their identity for themselves. Some are doing so in terms of sexuality, and that conversation becomes more complex each and every day. 
Some are doing so in terms of politics, and that conversation is becoming more and more polarized and polarizing every day. Some are doing so in terms of their career, and that pursuit, I think, is becoming more and more exhausting every day. Some are doing so in terms of wealth and in terms of acquisition, and that endeavor is becoming more and more elusive every day. And while those around us pursue identity, an identity of their own invention and devising and striving, as Christian people, we find our identity in nothing that we devise and nothing that we do, but in the gracious, saving, eternal, all-powerful work of the triune God. That's where our identity is found. And Peter says to such people, to us, end of verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. You see, we have grace and we have peace in what God has done. And Peter says, may it be multiplied to you. And, and you know it is. It is. Standing secure in Christ, in the saving action of the Father, in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, you and I, we know God's undeserved favor. We don't deserve any of it. It's grace. But, oh, it has been multiplied to us. And whatever's happening all around us and whatever dreadful things, unsettling things, awful things we see on the newspaper page, he gives us his peace, and we experience that peace. It's multiplied to us. So let me ask you, experientially, are you secure in that today? Are you steady in that today? Are you settled within that identity today? Now, if it happens that you're listening to this and you say, I know nothing of these things, and some among us, some listening, may not know anything of these things. Let, let me just say this. The door is open to you to know the love of this God, to know the sanctifying work of his spirit, the saving work of Jesus Christ through the shedding of his blood at Calvary. He, he, he died to purchase your forgiveness, to make you clean, to make you his own. And the invitation is open. It is open to come to him in faith and to find your home and your identity in him. Will you do that today if you have not? The door is open. That door is open, but maybe you still have questions about what it would look like for you to come to Jesus today. I hope you'll contact us here at Encounter the Truth. We have staff members who would love to talk with you, pray with you, answer questions that you may have about coming to Jesus. You can reach us online at EncounterTheTruth.org, or even better, give us a call at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884. And if you want to go back and listen to this broadcast again, you can do that at our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. You know, being a listener-supported ministry, we depend on your generosity to keep Jonathan's teaching on the station. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book called The Case for Christ. And if you're a regular listener, you know that we want to equip you with resources that will benefit you, that you can use in your walk with Christ. So, Jonathan, who would this book be beneficial for? Well, I think this is a book that will be useful really to any kind of listener to the program today, and that's one of the reasons we selected it. It'll be useful to you if you're exploring the Christian faith. Maybe you just happened upon the program today as you were flicking through the dial on the radio, and, and you started listening, and maybe some questions are now springing to mind about the Christian message and the Christian faith. 
This book is an articulately argued case for Jesus being who he says he is in the Bible. And, and I think you're going to find it fascinating. I think you'll find it engaging. I think you'll find it hard to put down. So if you're exploring the faith, this book is for you. If you are a believer who wants to grow in your ability to engage in conversations about Christ with others who don't yet trust him and don't yet follow him, this book is going to be great for equipping and resourcing you for those key conversations. And if you're someone as a believer who's who's praying for friends and loved ones and you're thinking, what what could I do to be a help to them as they consider the faith or to, to help them even begin to consider the faith, this is a great book to get hold of and to prayerfully give away. Well, we'd love to send you a copy of this book, The Case for Christ, is our thank you for your financial support this month. You can give your gift online at EncounterTheTruth.org or over the phone. Our number is 833-998-7884. It might be easier to remember as 833-99-TRUTH. Or again, the website, EncounterTheTruth.org. For producer Mark Bretta and our Bible teacher, Jonathan Griffiths, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.